electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, a rare green wave on Wall Street. The Dow up for the fourth day in a row. Retail, its best performance in a year. Williams-Sonoma rocking after hours and energy stocks continuing to hit new all-time highs. Time to start nibbling again in this market. Plus, shares of NVIDIA lower after hours. The outlook for next quarter, not so rosy. All the details straight ahead. And we are keeping an eye on shares of Twitter. The stock popping after hours. Elon Musk making new moves that make it seem like he is going forward with the deal at the original offer price. The breaking details coming up. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market side in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Tim Seymour. We start off with a Fed-led boost to the markets. The minutes from the central bank's latest meeting seem to provide no new reasons for concern, and that was enough to lift stocks and send the Nasdaq higher by a percent and a half. The S&P and Dow following suit. But now, in the after-hour session, weak guidance from NVIDIA sending shares of the chipmaker tanking. Could that be the news to take air out of the market tomorrow? Will this reignite those fears about technology, the fears about a change in the environment, uh, a change in terms of how we should value these companies, Dan? Yeah, well, let's be very clear. That guidance was not particularly bad, and they used the sort of mulligan that you might have expected, right? Supply chain issues as it relates to Russia and then the continued COVID lockdowns um, in China. So I think we all could have expected that. If you look at the guidance that they gave, it's not really that bad for Q2. I think the issue why this stock is probably down in the aftermarket, that investors in this environment have been conditioned to shoot first and ask questions later, and that's probably what's going on. I think at its lows in the aftermarket was down 10%. Again, this is not a whole heck of a lot of volume, so it's not really indicative of that. But, you know, here's a stock that's been cut in half. It trades well above a market multiple. It trades about 12 times sales. And if those sales were set to decline, let's say greater than what the company just guided to, you would see this thing probably making new 52-week lows and be re-rated like almost every other great growth stock in this market. Yeah, already cut in half. I think that's key, Um, Tim Seymour. What we've seen is, you know, a stock can come out like this. It's already been cut in half. It's already been beaten down. And yet it still manages to drag the entire sector lower. We saw it with Snap. Snap, a much smaller company than NVIDIA. And that took Apple down the next I, day. Yeah, uh, I, I like those data center revenues. It, it actually, uh, I think, is a pretty good read on some of the broader players in the space. But obviously, we also saw that these numbers have taken down AMD, uh, Micron, Marvell. And, and so uh, they're trading as a group. Uh, I do think that the, the, the outlook here is, is decent. I think, you know, let's wait and hear some more. I think the gaming revenue is of a concern. Uh, the multiple isn't terrible. It's obviously great relative to itself. Uh, it's somewhere around 20 times forward. What we forget here is, is that this was a stock uh, that was you know, from February of 2020 uh, to even you know where it traded up to, it's pulled back 51 percent. But uh, it moved 500 percent uh, essentially in in two years, two and a half years. Um, it's a dynamic here where I think you know people have to understand what to pay for these stocks at this point. There was nothing bad, I, I, I think, relative to uh, the environment we're in and, and what these guys said about China and Russia, as Dan pointed out. Like I don't think these are reasons you go out and sell this company. Uh, I do think it is a case where we still need to wait and see what the multiple should trade for. 
I don't think this will be a snap moment for a couple of reasons. One, it was up going into this print. So if you take that out, it really hasn't moved that much. But what was so amazing about Snap was how quickly the business deteriorated from April 21st right. until May 21st-ish, give or take. And so NVIDIA, we haven't heard from them since uh, a couple of months. So this isn't a huge move off of where they were. I think it comes back to the point Tim Danner making about what's the right multiple Used to be these kind of companies traded at peak and trough multiples. This one's been at a sky-high multiple for quite some time. But there's not a lot to, to hate, I think, in this earnings release. So it's all a matter of, of what do we pay for these sorts of companies, Guy. You had an interesting tweet. I, I think it was, I want to say it was a couple of days ago about Tesla. Tesla reporting a great quarter. And what has the stock done since then? Just gone lower. Yeah. Traded up to 1080 that day in the after hours. I know Dan talked about it a lot. He got a lot of ads on the Twitter, and it subsequently traded down to $600. I mean, you can do the math. That's a pretty significant move. I'm looking at NVIDIA here, though, and I'm sort of scratching my head. I know it was up 8 bucks or 9 bucks during the day, so it's giving that back a little bit more. But you know, that second quarter guide, $8.1 billion. I think consensus was about $8.4 billion. I thought this quarter was okay. Again, I find myself surprised at the reaction in the stock in the after hours. I, mean, I would submit you could buy the stock here, but, you know, it's, the market's doing strange things. I don't think it was that bad as to have this move. The, the move to me is not commensurate with the guide, just my opinion. Let's get some more details on the quarter. The conference call, by the way, is also just underway. Christina Parsonevelis is following the story. Christina. Yeah, so NVIDIA's revenue beat was driven largely by record revenue in data center and gaming. So data center business sells chips for cloud computing companies and enterprises. And that section actually or sector just grew 83 percent, surpassing its core gaming business, which sells graphic cards for games as well as crypto mining. NVIDIA's auto business, though, that was down about 10 percent on a year over year basis. And despite this overall strength that we're talking about in categories minus autos, maybe for now, the company does remain cautious. You guys have talked about it, guidance coming in lighter at $8.1 billion, including a $500 million hit relating to Russia and China COVID lockdowns. Keep in mind, though, forward-looking, the chipmaker did confirm just this past Sunday it would slow the pace of hiring, joining other major tech firms that have decided to be more cautious with their operating budgets in recent weeks. Since you're seeing shares down now almost 7%, I will get on that call and hopefully get some more info as to why we're seeing such this massive drop despite, you know, guidance coming in weak but not as bad as, as uh, maybe justified by this drop. All right. Christina, thanks. thanks. But keep us posted. Christina Partsonevelis. Tim, what would you want to hear on the conference call? Well, I, I want to hear some of the strength on the enterprise side. I, I definitely, again, data center came in 3.75 billion versus 3.6, so it was stronger. Um, we haven't really heard a lot so far about uh, gross margin pressure, inflation, and dynamics that I think are, are part of the reason other companies have sold off here. Uh, it, it, look, the impact of NVIDIA should not be understated, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're starting the show with it. This is now 3.3, uh, 3.4% of the NASDAQ. This is uh, one of the bellwethers, but when you turn, a, think about leading edge chips and some of the technology and some of the most exciting sectors of the market. This was front of the class. And this is a story where uh, I, I think you have to remember, we, we saw an upgrade last week on our show. We talked about that in AMD, where I think the analyst said something like um, this is it's you, know, you buy good companies when they're down. Uh, and in fact, that was really much of what the upgrade was predicated on that you can't time the market. Well, uh, I think when you look at NVIDIA, you look at the quality, you look at the segments that they're that they're in and they're actually leading. Um, and, and yeah, they have 
there's there's competition from Qualcomm. We've heard about this. We've heard AMD. Um, but I do think it's a case where uh, this is one of those great companies. It also gets to the heart of this whole big question that the market is facing right now, and that is even for good companies, even companies that report decent quarters or what look like decent quarters, they're followed by a decline. So what multiple do you pay? And so that, Dan, I mean, for investors yeah. out there who wanted to, you know, dip their toes in the market, it feels like catching a falling knife, literally. Yeah, I mean, one way to get exposure to this would be like through the SMH without having that idiosyncratic mm-hmm. risk. I mean, this is trading again at 12 times sales. It's a $400 billion market cap company. It's one of the largest in the S&P and in the NASDAQ. And so, I mean, this is what we're seeing right now. We're at the stage of this decline in high growth or high valuation names where they've shot all those other names, right? We know the ones that are down six. 60, 70, 80% now. And I think it's important to understand that we were talking about this stock six months ago as joining the trillion dollar market cap club, right? And here it is at 400 billion. So it's still trading at 12 times sales. Okay. So for all intents and purposes, this is a hardware company. I think a lot of people who've followed tech over many, many years would say that's probably too high. So it overshot to the upside. It had that 500% move over the last five years. I think it was like the best performing stock in the S&P for a couple years straight. Might it overshoot to the downside despite good fundamentals? Yeah, it could in a market like this. I mean, here's a silver lining, maybe. I don't know, Guy, I want to to know if you would agree with that. Um, They're coming after the likes of NVIDIA again. And so is that actually a good thing where the selling continues even in the very good, in the quote unquote perceived good companies in the growth areas? And maybe that's a good thing in in the market downturn in terms of the cycle. I think that's a, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, maybe we're sort of getting closer to the end of this entire thing than the beginning. I'd suggest we're somewhere closer to the middle, but I totally understand what you're saying. And I do think it is a healthy thing to Dan's point. I mean, you are talking about a company that probably has, I don't know, 18 percent or so revenue growth. Talking about a company that's probably trading at 10 times next year's revenue. Maybe that number should be closer to eight or nine. Maybe that's a historical norm. But to your point, the fact that they're selling it on this quarter is suggestive that maybe we're taking some of the excess out of the market, which I think is a good thing. I will say we led with the market. It's important to point that out. Markets actually traded pretty well since that 3810 low in the S&P. And we probably do have a couple more days of bounces ahead of us. All right, let's get to Twitter now. That stock is jumping after hours on reports that Elon Musk may be upping how much money he is personally putting into his planned purchase of the company. Let's get to Julia Borson for the details. Julia. Melissa, that's right. An SEC filing, Elon Musk reporting that he's seeking additional funding after his margin loan commitment expired. Now, shares are up about 7% on this news that Musk is upping his total commitment to $33.5 billion unless he gets more outside funding. So that's an additional $6.25 billion in equity. Now, the stock is moving higher on this, presumably because this indicates that Musk is moving forward with the deal as originally negotiated. The idea that he would seek more financing is also not entirely unexpected. It comes after reports about three weeks ago that he was seeking more financing for this deal. Now, and it also comes after Twitter's shareholder meeting today, in which the company's only comment on the deal was that they are moving forward with the terms originally negotiated with Musk. This filing also comes just as the FTC and DOJ announce that they are suing Twitter over allegedly misrepresenting to its users the extent to which the company maintained and protected the security and privacy of their non-public contact information, notably alleging that the company failed to disclose that it used contact information 
to target ads. Melissa? Julia, there's part of the filing, I believe, that which indicates that Musk is talking to existing shareholders like Jack Dorsey uh, about possibly rolling their existing shares into the new entity, into a parent company, so they would re- retain their ownership. Is that new? I feel like we knew about it, but I wasn't sure if that was an official thing or if it's an official thing now that it's in a filing. Um, I'm not sure, Melissa, if that is officially a new thing or if this was something that we just heard about as an idea before. But that is one way for him to maintain, for, first of all, to maintain a relationship with Dorsey and his investment in the company, but also to count Dorsey uh, among those investors. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, I go to Karen first on this. It's trading nowhere near the offer price. So what do you make of all of this? Well, I, it is good in that... The last we heard from Elon, the deal was on hold. Right. Right. So this is better than hold. So that's good. I think that the more equity finance he can raise elsewhere, the better the likelihood that the deal closes, that he has enough. Obviously, Tesla's down quite a bit since he since he entered to the merger agreement. The company has to say we are going along with the merger agreement that we have. They can't say anything else. I wouldn't be surprised if he does try to renegotiate or even walk away. Any of that can happen. I can't imagine as a board dealing with this investor, the richest man in the world, maybe still, I don't know, but and and being so uncertain what their true intentions are. So to me, it's a no touch, but this is definitely a little bit of good news in that it seems to be positive momentum forward. It just doesn't seem likely that he could commit nearly $34 billion because he owns a little less than 16% of Tesla. I think that is predominantly his wealth. He obviously, um, I think SpaceX was just valued at a hundred and something million dollars, but that is not particularly liquid. So we'd have to borrow against that. So if you do 16% of their existing market cap here, it's $682 billion. That puts him a little north of a hundred million He's already really? pledged 100 million, his state. Oh, state. state. Right, right, okay. right, right, 100 billion, right? So, so think about it, right? 100 billion, he's pledging 33 and a half. What were the, what was the multiple that he'd have to pledge shares? 20%. Versus, right, it just, it, five this times. math doesn't work. Okay, so this math. So that's why he's running around trying to get other equity investors new. So if you're a new and equity investor and you just saw Snap and the results that they had and that stock down marked down 40 percent in a day. And now it has a smaller enterprise value than a much worse company like Twitter, in my opinion. You're going to commit equity to that. Nobody's committing equity to that. This is not happening. He's kind of like waiting the thing out and he keeps putting out these filings. So to me, it's all a big fugazi. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I should go to Guy after Yeah, that. Um, of course. <laughs> no, but I don't know if you guys heard what Jim Breyer, Breyer Capital, said in Davos, but he, he basically said he thought yep. Twitter was worth, or he explicitly said Twitter was worth, he believes, between 25, 35 bucks a share, which is still considerably lower. I mean, if you take the 25 end of it, Guy, um, in terms of the company, what, what is Twitter if, Musk, if the deal doesn't go through? Well, you're asking the person that thought it would go through at 54 and change, so... I mean, I just put that out there for context. I'm not sure. I mean, Karen has said it. Dan has said it as well. I mean, if it doesn't go through, it probably trades down to those levels. But what we said last night, and I think this is important, I'm not trying to sort of do a little bit of a U-turn here, but Snap on that flush yesterday, given the volume that it traded and the valuations that we talked about on the show last night, you saw what it did today. I mean, that's probably still the trade in this environment. You know, you had that flush out. You had that volume capitulation valuations are reasonable. Snap will get through this, I think. That's the trade here for the pop, in my opinion. Tim, what's your take on all this? 
Look, on Twitter, you know, we forget that there was a shareholder meeting today and there was a lot of things that they talked about and they didn't talk about this deal because they couldn't talk about this deal and because the CEO quote said he was exhausted and, and, and you know, ultimately they talked about the same old thing. They talked about product enhancement. They talked about uh, to the extent that they are uh, doing more compelling things to increase engagement. I, I guess, you know, ultimately this is a company that, that I believe has intrinsic value. If, if none of this had happened in this environment, in other words, if, if Elon did not happen to Twitter, um, where would the stock be trading now? Has that illuminated uh, the lack of a bid from other parties? That's, I don't know if it even matters at this point, but I, I do think if Elon went away, um, the stock would trade down to those levels, but I don't think it would stay there. Uh, I think you have a dynamic here where, uh, again, I don't think there's a perfect solution in the CEO's chair, but I do think you have a dynamic where it's a company that uh, was worth a whole lot more based upon expectations. Their business was going to be very different in the next year and a half. Is it not going to be? I, I, I don't know. Uh, but it was an interesting day of, of really almost nothing uh, in terms of what came out of that meeting. Yep. Coming up, shares of Williams-Sonoma jumping after a beat on the top and the bottom lines. We'll bring you the details on the quarter, plus shares of Kohl's surging on reports that bidders are still competing for the retailer, and it's not the only retailer in rally mode. Should you be adding any to your shopping bag? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked... That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. William Sonoma moving higher by almost 16% after posting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema. Hey, Melissa, a breath of fresh air. Higher sales at Pottery Barn and West Elm stores uh, helping the company. Comp brand sales overall rising 9.5% with Pottery Barn up 14.6%, West Elm up 12.8%, while it did see a decline of 2.2% at Williams-Sonoma, a 3.1% drop at Pottery Barn Kids and Team, which was actually better than expected. So overall, this stronger-than-expected report sort of underscores that the higher-end consumer is still spending on home goods, and that is sending shares higher by around 15 percent here in after hours after gaining around nine percent in the regular session. Mel? All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi, uh, we got those good numbers from Toll yesterday, Tim. That's a higher-end consumer, higher-end home buyer. We said it could be a good read through for William Sonoma and RH, and both of them are higher in the after hours now. Yeah. 
Boy, and it was. And, and last night, I think I said I was concerned. And, and, and so I have to, to, to tell you that uh, for a company that uh, that comp at nine and a half percent when year over year uh, or they were building off of a 40 percent comp it is extraordinary. And, and if you look at the, the value of the brand portfolio there, too. And again, West Elm uh, seems to be clicking on all cylinders. Uh, but again, it was a record quarter for a company that now trades at seven and a half times. So uh, not expensive. In other words, seven and a half times forward is, is pretty extraordinary here. How much pull forward? I'm not sure we know. Um, we know this is a different segment in terms of, of, of where their shopper is relative to some of the, 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 the folks that are disappointed. I, I do think that the stay-at-home nesting dynamic and maybe working from home has a longer cycle to it. But I, I, I have to tell you, uh, I think this has to run out of gas at some point. And I do think at some point even those, uh, those consumers who are higher up on the income chain are going to feel it. And, and it's just not been this quarter. I thought it was a really impressive quarter for, I mean, obviously the things we talked about, William Sonoma itself, which is high margin, Pottery Barn, very good numbers. But to me, it's about, here was an opportunity to take numbers down, be cautious, right? We saw what Dick's Sporting Goods did, being overly cautious. They didn't feel the need to do that here. So they must feel pretty confident about how things are going. And so this was an excellent quarter. There's a, there's a lot to like here. I don't know if there was some short covering, but I, don't, I was very impressed. And, and as you brought up, RH, this is clearly on target for RH. I saw it up, I don't know, 16 bucks in the after hours. Definitely good for them. For as much talk about inflationary pressures, um, uh, supply chain issues, et cetera, Guy, not, not a problem here. They operated extraordinarily well. And Tim did say last night they thought William Sonoma was cheap. So, you know, he didn't mention that as being humble, but he's right. And I thought it traded well today, obviously, but I think this move is justified. You're talking about operating margins up. They're 17.1 percent, up 120 basis points year over year in a pretty difficult environment. Good for them. They should be rewarded for this. And if you start doing back of the envelope math, I mean, this stock, again, not that it matters, but, you know, at its trough just a couple days ago was cut down almost by 58 percent from the levels we saw in November. I actually think you can see this thing continue to rally on a benign tape 50% 50% of the recent you know, move that we've seen from 220 down to 102 gets you to 160. And I think that's a reasonable level to start selling this stock. All right. Speaking of retail, check out Kohl's. Trading nearly 12% higher today. The rally coming amid reports that potential buyers are still bidding for the company despite a rough earnings report and market volatility. Offers may come in, though, lower than initially expected. Karen? As the viewers know, you've been fired up. This is yes. a company that it's gotten under your skin. So what's your really, take here? Yes, I'm back, Coles. Here's what, so we saw the stock trading at 36 and a half, 37 earlier today. That's where your plan, your strategic plan will trade on its own. So it was only with this story of bidders bidding lower than where they were that made the stock trade into the 40s. So remember that, board, when you consider these bids, even though they're lower, they're a hell of a lot higher, most likely, than where your stock is right now. Two questions for you. For the board, board, were you aware that these two executives, the chief merchandising officer and chief marketing officer, were leaving? Were you aware of that before the meeting on May 11th? Because that's something the shareholders really should have known. If you were aware of it, that's, that's not so cool, board. And if you weren't aware of it, that's not so cool, management, right? There's not a lot of good things going on here. The second thing that I thought was really interesting was T. Rowe Price, which is a great company, right? They made a very unusual, visible show of support to Kohl's management. And I wonder, did they know and yet still chose to support Kohl's management so visibly? 
or did they not know, in which case T. Rowe put some pressure on management, because this is the management that didn't let you know that the two of the three probably most important executives were leaving. So something for you to chew on, T. Rowe. I'm a shareholder. I'm really upset with how this process is going. We're four months into it. They don't even necessarily have the bids in hand yet, or if they do, they're not telling us, which might be okay. Do the process, sell it, even if it's not as good as what you would have gotten for shareholders had you engaged originally in January when you got more than one expression of interest. At what point do you Mm -hmm. say to yourself, Karen, I should sell? I should sell. Uh, (laughs) That is an excellent question. Probably at 58 was the right answer. Um, But here I am now at 40 uh, and, and sort of worked up over it. I'm hoping there is enough pressure to get them. It's just a question. If I looked at it today and owned none, I do think there is a reasonable shot that this board is pressured into doing the right thing. But this board, as you said, it sounds like it's incompetent. I don't know if incompetent is the right word. I think it was certainly misleading, right? Misleading. It's either deceptive or incompetent. Okay. In either case, I think a sale is the right thing. Also, if you're on the board of directors... You don't want this kind of thing. You don't want me yelling at you, right? <laughs> Who wants that? I can tell I you my husband it. doesn't I, want it. I don't it. want it. That's you for don't sure. Want, you don't want people, you know, they were sued the other day. They got sued for, you know, withholding material non-public information. They have to feel like, oh, wow, our plan is really not working so well. That cheery, you know, conference call after your guidance was ridiculous. You know it. So they don't want to deal with people like me. Well, let me ask you this, though, Karen. And I yeah. think it's really interesting. So twice in the last week, we've had a little, we've had a little dust up over Kohl's here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at some point, couldn't this really go south if people like you who are shareholders are saying they're either dumb or negligent or incompetent? I didn't say they were well, dumb. Well, I mean, but, but some of the other buyers or, or potential interest, they may leave, right? And then this they're thing goes much Kohl's lower. They're not buying Kohl's because Kohl's is <clears throat> killing it, right? right. They're in this position. Kohl's is in this position because they're not killing it. Any buyer has to think, I have a better plan than Kohl's plan, right? And if they can buy it a little bit cheaper, great. Well, plus, a lot of them are looking at it as a real estate transaction, right. which doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. So that's... That's why yeah, but I'm all I'm saying yeah. is that the market history is not kind to stories like this. When you have people on TV really upset <laughs> about situations and then you have, you know, boards that are under fire and then, you know, claims of whatever, not being particularly honest. I mean, my bet would be that this thing, there's not a great buyer for this thing and it ends up going much lower. It could. There are several buyers, allegedly. I believe that uh, it, it, they do generate cash flow despite themselves. They do. So I do think there's value here. It's whether or not this board will try to say, you know what, it's not a great time to sell. We're not going to sell. Never mind. I don't want to, I don't think I'd want to be on the board of directors that does that. Yeah. It's a lot of feedback that they don't want. I think we'll be sending this clip to the board. <laughs> See what they say. Coming up is the Fed being naive. That's what one top fixed income investor thinks about the central bank's stance on inflation. His thesis next. And later shares a snowflake plunging after its earnings report. What was in the release that spooked investors? We've got the details ahead. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. 
<laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on the markets. Higher today after the Fed minutes gave no reason to believe the central bank would become more hawkish. But our next guest warns the Fed is showing naivete in its inflation battle. First time we've used that word on fast, I think, ever. Michael Kantopoulos runs fixed income for Richard Bernstein Advisors. He is the former head of high yield strategy at Bank of America. I think that's when we talked last, Michael. Great to have you back. Welcome Thanks back to Fast me. Money. Thanks, Michelle. Um, so the Fed is really, really, really behind. I mean, that, you, you think that that's basically what the Fed minutes show? Yeah. I mean, they're, listen, we all know that they're, they're behind the curve. And, you know, I think what's, uh, what we're seeing, what we saw today, is that they still are, are, are just hoping that supply chain bottlenecks are going to relieve themselves. Um, you know, they still think there's some degree of, of transitory to the inflation story. And they haven't really woken up to the idea that maybe there's a secular shift going on. Um, you know, maybe globalization to deglobalization and over a decade of monetary and now fiscal stimulus has created a new paradigm of, of higher than average inflation. And, and I think they don't get it. I think they, they think they're going to hike 50 basis points a few times and then that's going to be enough. And I just don't see that being the case. Hey, Michael, it's Tim. Welcome back. Uh, when I hear you say and I saw in your notes that you think credit right now is, is fine and I'm going to listen to anybody on credit, it's you. Um, but the things you're talking about in terms of the Fed and their need to be more aggressive and to, and to basically um, cut growth out at the knees. Um, at what point do you start getting worried about uh, credit when growth is cut? In other words, what kind of growth headwinds uh, will lead to some erosion here? And I know you can't pinpoint it to the data point or the date. Um, but that has me concerned. And, and I have seen widening in high yield, although you don't sound concerned. You know, I, I'm not too concerned, Tim. I mean, let's look at the fundamentals. Um, leverage has collapsed. Interest coverage is at all-time high. So what's interest coverage? Interest coverage is the ability to pay the, the, the coupon on your debt through earnings. That's never been higher. What did corporate America do during the recession? Well, they turned out their debt and they locked in really low interest rates, just like home buyers did. And now their interest costs are so low, it's very easy to service those. You look at the amount of upgrades versus downgrades in high yield. They're outpacing Upgrades are outpacing downgrades. The default rate's virtually zero, and most of our models for default rates looking out over the next six months suggest they're going to continue to be zero. Cash on corporate balance sheets are near all-time highs, and now you're starting to see corporates in the last quarter spend that cash on CapEx. You know, I think there's a lot of negativity, obviously, in the equity markets. Growth is clearly slowing, but it's not slow. And, and the Fed hiking, you know, a few times isn't going to slow consumption when you look at consumer and corporate balance sheets as healthy as they are. So I just think that, you know, certainly 2022 is not going to be a year for recession. Spreads have widened because of the increase in volatility. As a fixed income investor, you want certainty of coupon and ultimate payment of principal. 
And any increase in volatility would basically suggest that that certainty is uh, is diminished. And, and, and that's what the, the lighting has been about, not about fundamentals. It's Karen, thanks for being on. Let me ask you, these minutes that they seem, I don't know, May 4th or so, it seems like actually a lot's happened in the two and a half weeks since then, where not just Powell, but a number of uh, Fed governors have been very, very hawkish. Do you think things are different there now than they were when these minutes were were happening? You know, I, I don't think they, that much has honestly changed. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, tighten financial conditions through rhetoric, uh, through forward guidance. You know, Powell, I'm sure, loves the idea that the two years up a ton this year and that they might not have to hike as much as, you know, they, they, they would otherwise have to if the markets weren't lower, if two-year yields weren't higher. But, you know, I, I don't think we're seeing consumption get reined in at all. So I think uh, not that much has really changed over over the last two weeks. I think they're just trying to jawbone the markets a little bit and let them do their job for them. And, you know, we'll see if that works. My suspicion is it won't. And they'll ultimately are going to have to actually hike higher than, than expected or, you know, increase the pace of, of QT, which I think is, of course, a, a secondary uh, a secondary tool that they'll use. So those two, I mean, those two options, Michael, the, the equity markets, I don't want to say we're likely, but we could see some more downside. Right now, you say that the Fed doesn't care if we see 30 to 40 percent downside on the Nasdaq, for instance. We're already down 26 percent this year. So that's another 14 percent or whatever on top on top of the decline that we've seen already. That's what you're yeah, Michelle, seeing. Yeah, I mean, Michelle, listen, I always get asked, isn't the Fed put still in play? Look at Q4 2018, where they backtracked. My answer has been the Fed doesn't really care about equity markets today, particularly when you consider that the majority of the downturn has been in what we think are bubble assets, long duration assets, spec tech and you know, high valuation tech in general. And, and, and do you think the mar- do you think the Fed really cares if those if those things go down that much? Not when they're fighting inflation. You know, the difference between today and 2018 is they weren't really fighting anything. Uh, they had no battle. They just wanted to bring up the Fed funds rate as high as they could without really tipping anything out of balance. And when the market said mercy, they, they, they went and they, they stopped. This go around, they actually have something to fight. Now, I think they're naive in thinking they're able to fight it with a few 50 basis point hikes and then be done. But, uh, but they're fighting inflation. And ultimately, that means they're going to have to go, to go higher. And, you know, equities going down is not going to deter them from that. Credit might, but not equities. Michael, thank you. It's Melissa, by the way. But it's been, I'm so glad to see you. It's been so long. I'm going to let that go. (laughs) We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Melissa. Take care. Michael Kantopoulos. All right, Guy Adami, what do you think? I think that you like what he's saying. I do. I'm, I'm, I do like what he's saying because the Fed should never really be looking at the market, in my opinion. Something I've been saying for a while, and they clearly did. Specifically in 2018, I think they blinked for two reasons. They were getting browbeat by the administration at the time. And the market went down, Dan will tell you, 19.9% in two and a half months. Of course, inflation wasn't a problem then, so they did what they needed to do in their opinion. Now inflation is a problem. By the way, the inflation they were wishing for for years. And I think to his point, it's going to take a long time. This is not something that is... uh, you can't defeat this overnight, and I don't think people fully understand how sticky this inflation problem is going to be. And if you want proof positive, just look at what's happened to the energy market over the last couple of weeks. Every opportunity to sell off, and it hasn't, and wait till China reopens. Watch how high crude goes. 
All right, coming up, we have got more earnings coming your way. Shares of Snowflake dropping after its report. We'll bring you the details next. Plus, we're talking big tech, several shareholder meetings making headlines today, plus more on where Elon Musk stands in his deal for Twitter. That is all up when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert. Snowflake shares dropping 14% after delivering worse than expected guidance for the quarter. Frank Hollins got the latest from the call. Frank. Listen to the call. Nothing really remarkable on there. Um, just looking at the report as well. Another possible reason for Snowflake's sharp drop appears to be the deceleration of product revenue for the data warehouse and analytics company. So take a look at this bar chart here. In 2020, that number for revenue growth for product that came in at 164%. This year, falling to 66%. Products where Snowflake gets 90% of its overall revenue. Investors potentially seeing this deceleration as a projection uh, as another red flag after filing show that Salesforce sold all of its remaining shares in Q1 after selling the majority of shares in Snowflake last year. The rest of the report showing growth, remaining performance obligations or RPO, now $2.6 billion, up 82% year over year, net revenue retention up 174%, that's growth in revenue from existing customers, Guidance for the full year, mostly in line with estimates. The call started uh, again a few minutes ago. We're going to keep listening. And CEO Frank Slootman, he's going to appear on Tech Check tomorrow. Melissa, back over to you. Frank, Frank Collin, thank you. Uh, Dan, what do you make of this? I think there's a lot of things to like. That net revenue retention number is huge, and that's what a lot of investors who are invested in names like this, willing to pay multiples they were willing to pay since the company went public, that's what they're really focused on here. I think revenue deceleration with a $40 billion market cap is much was much higher. We know the stock's down you know, 60% from last year's highs. It's still trading about 20 times sales this year, 15 times next. And that just stacked up to a lot of its peers just seems a bit expensive again in this market. We just did that, right? We just said this about... NVIDIA. And I think that's what's going on because I don't think that guidance was particularly horrible. But, you know, investors, again, are not really willing to sit around and ask too many questions. Yeah. Tim? I've actually got them at close to 40 times. I mean, if they're, if they're a $41 billion company and they're going to do $1.2 billion in sales, I mean, I, it's just not cheap. Your point is well taken. I, I mean, I, I'm echoing it. And and also their adjusted, you know, their their adjusted op margin was so far off the mark that has to be uh, you know, some aberration. But it, it, again, it's a company that's not profitable now um, at a time when uh, I just think everybody realizes we're not. It's one thing to pay, you know, X multiple of sales for a software company. It's another thing to pay for a company that's losing money. Uh, and I think that's really where the, the you know, I believe this can go down even more. Coming up, big tech in focus with some high-profile companies holding shareholder meetings today. We'll tell you what came out of those next. And Chevron hitting an all-time high as energy continues to climb. But the big run is some options traders betting on a potential cool-down. The details ahead don't go anywhere. Back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter shares jumping in the after hours. The new filing suggesting that Elon Musk is committed to doing a deal and is seeking additional funding. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, what's your take on these developments? Melissa, I think it is evidence that Elon wants to pursue this transaction. It does not tell us what the price is. I would be shocked, Melissa, if he pays $54 for this. I still think the number is $42, but it is a step in the right direction just quickly, how do you get to $42 is that if you look at what the market has done, the NASDAQ, since he announced this on April 1st, down 19%. Of course, the number 42 means something to Elon. I think all roads lead to $42. And I would uh, put myself safely on the ledger that says that 
I do believe he is going to acquire Twitter. And just one further piece that I think this plays into, if you even think about Elon, his behavior over the last few weeks since this has been announced is become increasingly political. And I think that uh, that is another rev to the benefit of him owning Twitter. It's a powerful political uh, voice that he can have with Twitter. And so ultimately, I think that this is a step in the right direction at forty two dollars. Um, Twitter had a shareholder meeting as well, Gene. Um, did they? I would. Do they say anything about this whole thing? And, and I would imagine that Twitter, if if he wanted to renegotiate lower, Twitter doesn't have that much of a choice at this point. I think Twitter looks like a worse company today than it did before. If Elon Musk it, walks, absolutely, he's done a good job of really. Uh, spoiling how investors think about Twitter, how they think about Twitter's uh, management team. I think it's evidence of what popularity can get you. Elon has 93 million followers on Twitter. Parag, the CEO, has about 700,000 followers. Uh, That mass, I think, is uh, sprinkled in many investors. And I would agree, investors' belief in this. Also, the core business has deteriorated, not just because of what potentially could be going on with some of the advertising components. We didn't get any negative updates on that front today, but also the distraction. We've talked about that before. So you have to imagine that Elon has uh, done a successful uh, role here in terms of negotiating a lower price. And uh, I think that if this doesn't happen, the stock is uh, $25. That's, uh, I think, a conservative view of where this would go. Hey, Gene, it's Karen. If, if, if you really feel strongly 42 is the price it ends up, the stock's 39.54 now. It would seem like a really good short at that level because it's hard to have a huge degree of certainty that Elon will close. And if he doesn't close and he sells his shares, I think that 25 might be the, the upside for Twitter in the short term. It could be. The the uh, analysis, the weighted return that I've looked at is the probability that happens, 70 percent chance. Uh, the downside to 25 is a 30 percent chance. I think that nets out at, at call it minus two, minus three percent. I don't think I agree with you, Karen. I do not think that this is worthy of investing in trading. I think you just kind of stand clear and enjoy the fireworks of how this is going to play out. Gene, good to see you as always. Thank you. Gene Monster, Loop Ventures. Um, Karen, were you thinking about getting back in? I mean, well, I, I don't I mean, I, I get why Elon 420 would be, you know, great for him. I, that's a giant that's a giant haircut. It would really show the board just feels like the merger agreement wasn't adequate uh, to force him to close. That's their option to force him to close, to go to court and yeah. force him to close. I don't know. Well, it's also a tough thing here because, you know, Gene just mentioned that he's gotten he's taken this political turn and he wants this asset, which I think is really interesting. If you think about his other asset, the one that's six hundred and eighty two billion dollars, that's called Tesla. And that's down 50 percent from its recent highs. Um, Most of the customers here in America don't really subscribe to his new alt-right turn that he really wants to flex on. And that's where he's going. So those are the people buying electric vehicles. The party that he's aligning himself don't seem to really care too much about some of the climate concerns that he founded or he didn't find uh, Tesla, but when he got joined the company. So it seems to be risk there as far as Tesla's business. So you have Twitter's business that is quickly eroding with no leadership in this thing, and the longer it goes. And then Tesla, who knows what's happening here because that thing seems like it's one quarter away from a big guide lower. Coming up, energy continuing its climb today, and options traders are homing in on one name. The details next. Fast Money's back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Energy adding to its big run this year. The XLE now up 55 percent as a ton of big oil companies hold annual shareholder meetings. Some options activity in one name is catching our eye. Tony Zane joins us with the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, as crude and energy shares trade near relative highs, we do see one trader betting on more muted outlooks here for one particular stock, Chevron. Taking advantage of the elevated implied volatilities that we currently see here in Chevron, selling 2,500 contracts of the June 175 straddle, collecting in this particular case $11.94 credit for this particular straddle. That's about $3 million in premium and betting that this stock is not going to potentially move substantially higher or substantially lower with profit around between 163 and 187. That's a pretty wide range, about a 7% range around the current price of the stock over the next 23, 24 days, uh, betting that we're not going to see some big moves here from energy over the next couple of uh, next few weeks. Guy, what do you think? Do you agree with the action? Look, Chevron traded up to 175 and changed today. New all-time high. New all-time high for Chevron. Think about that for a second. So I can understand why people are saying, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe we'll start to cycle out of energy into some other things. I totally get it. Do I agree with it? Not necessarily, because I'm one that thinks energy is going to continue to go higher from here. I think Tim probably shares those thoughts as well. We've thought that for a while, and you'll learn more about it in my final trade. That's called a tease, Melissa, coming up in a few minutes. Mm. Tim, are those your thoughts as well? Do you share them? <laughs> for sure. Uh, and he's guys teasing my tease um, for my final trade, too. But Chevron, if out? you look, if you look at, well, if you, I don't know. I think it's actually I think we were uh, energy squared now. Um, so I, I think you've got a case where if you look at the debt and balance sheet profile of these companies. Chevron is essentially 0.25 um, debt to equity. Uh, you have a lot of the big names in the sector that at some point are going to be essentially zero debt. It's almost unfathomable to think about where this sector has gone. And these companies have not changed their commitment to giving capital back to shareholders. That's the story. Again, I said 2.7 to 4.7 percent in the S&P just this year from year end. It's going a lot higher. Tony, thank you. Tony Zhang from Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy Dami. As teased, Marathon Petroleum, MPC. Tim Seymour. Schlumberger, look at that chart at 45. It's a beautiful breakout. Rig counts are doubling. Uh, Schlumberger. Karen Feinerman. Yes, this is one we haven't talked about in a while. Lululemon. On Analyst Day, April 20th, they reported great numbers and $385 a share at the time. Now it's $260. I bought some here. Dan Nathan. Yeah, CME's gotten hit really hard over the last couple weeks here. I think it's a buy that's like a double bottom on the chart today. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, stay tuned. A two-hour special of the news with Shepard Smith live from Texas starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. 